0: Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Hey, everybody, welcome to church. My name is Ben Appleby. I'm so honored. I'm bold privileged to be with you this weekend. We are finishing a series that has been near and dear to our hearts, Moses, Strengthening the Soul. These series come across, if they come across as personal, it's because they are. So much of this series is a reflection of what God has been walking us through as leaders, teachers in this local faith community. And we've done this wonderful character study of Moses, how he went through the crucible of... Yeah, no worries, no worries. Okay, cool. Hey everybody, welcome to Sunday Service. My name is Ben Appleby. I'm so honored to be with you this weekend. Humbled, privileged to share this message that God's put on my heart. We are finishing a teaching series today, Moses Strengthening the Soul. If this series comes across even the least a bit personal, it's because it very much is. This series is an embodiment, an expression of my personal faith journey, of Bucky's personal faith journey, and we hope and pray that it has resonated with you for you during an incredible season where our souls have been rocked, they have been shuttered, they have been absolutely unsettled to our core. And we hope that this series has been instructive for fortifying, emboldening, and strengthening your soul, this intangible inner character in place, the seat. The center of our mind and bodies is the soul. All things out here relationally in the world ultimately originate from this source, our soul. This this house where the Lord dwells, that is the Holy Spirit. And as we wind down this series, I'm reminded of my love for old married couples. Don't you just love an old married couple? You know, one author says of a old married couple, they've fought and loved so long that they've reached that deep level of understanding, each one content just to know the other is there. An old married couple, they don't have to sit there ogling one another, staring deeply and romantically into each other's eyes. They sit there on the rocking chairs on the front porch and they can just stare off into the horizon, happy to feel the summer afternoon air coming through. Maybe holding hands, not too much PDA, though I hope my, my physical displays of affection continue forever. They may just be holding hands. They're not even looking at each other, they're looking forward, and they are just content to be souls in one another's presence. They're sitting there, they have the beauty and wonder and awe of hindsight at their back. As they say, hindsight is 2020. They know that no amount of striving will. Get them any more success, fame, acclaim, notoriety, power, or money. An old couple knows that. An old married couple knows that. They have the clarity and confidence, not just of identity, but of really the meaning of life. An old married couple is able to sit there with that confidence. I've had the opportunity to sit with my Grandparents who are 91 and 92. They've been married 67 years. And I sit with them, and most of the time I'm so content just to sit there and listen to their retelling of stories. They're really narratives and histories, key moments in the marriage or the family. And it's such a wonder to sit with them and see the ease and the contentment and the peace that they have having arrived at that point in life. And what is it that serves as the anchor, the bedrock? What makes it possible to entertain that kind of presence, that kind of peace, that kind of stillness in one another's arms? I think it's faithfulness. To find another way, fidelity. This beautiful fidelity, right? And fidelity is a great word, even a better word for faith that is what has led them to this deep stillness, this deep presence, is a complete, constant, unwavering commitment and devotion. And one author who wrote the book, Faith by Allegiance Alone, a book by a man named Bates, you could look it up, it's a heady, heady theological book for you real students out there. That's one way that he defines faith. In fact, he's just using the gospel writers. And oftentimes when you read the word faith in the New Testament books, the original Greek word is pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis, allegiance, fidelity, committed love, unwavering and devoted love, serves as the launching pad and the foundation and, the, and the, gives animation to presence and contentment. These things go hand in hand, faith, fidelity, presence, stillness before the Lord. And I love these moments when I've got to sit there with my 91 and 92-year-old grandparents I hear these retelling of stories and histories. It's not much unlike the retelling that the author of Hebrews does in in Hebrews chapter 11 as he recounts the heroes and legends, the faithful men and women of the Bible. And of course, the author of Hebrews recaps in, in Hebrews 11 verse 23, even the faith of Moses, the object of this entire study and series. It says this in Hebrews 11, verse 23. Because of faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months. They saw that he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king when he said that all baby boys should be killed. It was because Moses had faith he would not be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter when he grew up. He chose to suffer with God's people instead of having fun doing sinful things for a while, one translation says, my translation that I'm using. Any shame that he suffered for Christ was worth more than all the riches in Egypt. He kept his eyes on the reward God was going to give him. Verse 27, because Moses had faith, he left Egypt. He was not afraid of the king's anger. Moses did not turn from the right way, but kept seeing God in front of him. Because Moses had faith, he told all the Jews to put blood over their doors, and the angel of death would pass over their houses and not kill their oldest sons, where we'd get the Jewish festival of Passover. Because of faith, Moses was led through this incredible crucible, this incredible journey through the, through the wilderness, through the desert, leading this stiff-necked people, the Bible says, of the Israelites. They were like children, obstinate children. Lord, do I know about obstinate children, like toddlers, two- and three-year-olds, when their stubbornness and hard-heartedness and willful spirits will fight you tooth and nail just to climb up the stairs and get in bed. And Moses knew about all of this, but by faith, which is the vehicle that he had, it was the tool that he used in order to enter into greater and greater depths and levels of presence with the Father. You know, my mom said something recently to me as we were talking about pandemic, we were talking about politics, and we were talking about this season of incredible trial and tribulation. And she was talking about the ideas of fear and trusting God's sovereignty and how we do that dance and how we walk that tightrope. And she said something so simple, but it was so profound. She said that it's in times of fear, when fear rises up, we use our faith to fight it. I thought, what a simple, practical, but powerful statement to view faith almost like we're disembodied. Most times we think of faith as, I accepted Jesus into my heart, therefore I have faith, this faith that's inside me, I'm filled with faith. But I love how in that moment, the Holy Spirit led her to describe faith as almost this thing that we grab a hold of and we use to do battle. Moses had that. The legends of faith had that. This shield of faith to fight every single battle that came their way. And faith, as I said, in this mutual, symbiotic relationship with presence, faith leads somewhere, and it leads to an actual place. That faith leads to greater union with Jesus, greater presence and union and fidelity with Jesus. That's why I love the old married couple. They are sold out. They have an absolute, one-directional, committed love relationship. Can we say that about our relationship with Jesus? That we have that level of intimacy and devotion and commitment. That it is not just like this suitor or bad date that we just have to get through or we're semi-interested in this man or woman and we maybe go back to them. Maybe we'll have a second date. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll call. Maybe we'll text. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Comes and goes like an up and down romance. Faith, fidelity leads to a place, union with Jesus. And it also leads to Heaven, which by the way is just which is just more union with Jesus. We understand that about heaven, right? This wonderful eternity that we're all looking forward to, we're all praying for, we're all praying that comes quickly, comes soon. May your heaven, may, may, may your kingdom come soon, may it come swiftly, quickly. It's more union with Jesus. That's what this whole thing is about. This whole faith thing is all about where did faith lead Moses back to Moses for a second where did this grand legendary devotion and fidelity where did it leave Moses well it led him to the promised land right let's read let's pick up right here in Deuteronomy 34 actually Deuteronomy 34 verse 1 it says now Moses went up from the valleys of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah beside Jericho and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the sea in the west, then Negev and the plain and the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Verse 4, then the Lord said something. Then the Lord said something so incredibly deflating <laughs> and sad and devastating if you're like me. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your children. I have let you see it with your eyes, Moses, but you will not go there. Oh, no. You're kidding me. You're kidding. What? Moses is going to be God's man, God's chosen man, to be sent into the lion's den of Pharaoh, the Egyptian god-king sent into that land to release Israelites from captivity, release them from their bondage. He's going to send them into decades, in and through the wilderness. Yes, through highest heights of the miraculous, of the wonderful, and through provision of food and water. He's going to lead the people through absolute faithfulness and obedience and leadership. Moses was. Moses was faithful and obedient and an epic leader of this obstinate people that I already talked about. And he doesn't get to go in? All that faith, all that work, and for what? Just to see it from afar? Oh, man, a lot of you are familiar with this passage. A lot of you know this history. But my question is, have you ever really wrestled with and discovered the answer to why God would do it that way? Because at first reading, you'd think, man, that's kind of trivial. That's a little bit, why would you do that, God? your chosen man, and then you wouldn't let him go in? You see, I think part of the answer, if we keep reading, is right here in Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. This is what it says. There has never been another man who speaks for God in Israel like Moses. The Lord knew him face to face, it says. There was never been another like him that has done all the powerful works the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants and all his land. There has never been another who has shown all the great power and all the great fear which Moses did for all Israel to see. Fast forward for a quick illustration. The transfiguration of Jesus. The very emanation of God and the man of Jesus radiating, emanating and radiating. His moment, his ordination, his blessing, his fulfillment, his messianic hope, all wrapped up in one moment. The transfiguration of Jesus and who is present. Only a couple people in all of history who is present, Moses. So when it says, never has there been, never has there been, never been, never been, never been, we see what a special man Moses is. And we start to see as we read this, as we read this, we start to see what the promised land really was. The promised land was not a territory. The promised land was not a geography between the Negev and between the palm trees and between Zoar and Gilead and Naphtali. No, 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 no. The punchline, are you ready? This is so huge, and this comes directly from Barton, Ruth Haley Barton. This book, you've got to get and read it slow. If you want to make sure your soul makes it through this season, if you want to make sure you're not just completely devastated and your relationships are blown apart during the season and into the next political season that we're about to head into, go and buy the book Strengthening the Soul by Ruth Haley Barton. Go and buy it. And this is what she says. She says, for Moses, the presence of God was the promised land. It was not a geography. It was not a territory. The presence of God was the promised land for Moses. He saw God face to face. Never has there been another one like him. Done all these powerful works in obedience and faith. And you see, Moses was just content to be a soul in God's presence. Like that old married couple was God the Father and Moses, together, content, at peace. The Lord knew him face to face. The question, the challenging question for me, you guys, as someone who's trying to guard my soul and manage my soul during these trying times is, is that the type of relationship that I long for? Is that the type of relationship I have with the Father right now? That old married couple, that beautiful holding hand in hand with the Father, that full fidelity, that full commitment, that full trust, that foundation of presence. Did Moses get to enter the promised land physically? No. But what did he have through the gift of his faith? He had a lot. It was no little thing that God had given him through the crucible, through the desert, through the wilderness, through the trying time. He had. A total inner freedom from the false self. He didn't have to put up a show anymore. He didn't have to be a tough guy. He didn't have to be the self-made man. He didn't have to be the sole judge of all the Israelites when they brought all their issues to him. He was totally dead to the false self. He could be completely and clearly him. Moses. No one else. He was rid and free of the false self. He was completely free from frenetic busyness. He didn't have to run around all over town being everybody to everyone. He didn't have to get it all done at a breakneck speed, looking past all the relationships that are getting burned along the way. He had total freedom from busyness. He had total freedom from exhaustion and overstimulation. He had total freedom from other people's expectations. Please, Lord, let us live differentiated lives. This term differentiated will change your whole world if you'll let it. It means that you can be, you can exist independent And safely apart from the person across from you, whoever they are trying to inflict shame, guilt, pressure, burden, expectation, and throw all that on you. You can be at peace. You can have stillness and presence and not be overrun by other people's expectations. Moses had that as a gift from God. He had no need to defend himself. He had no leadership isolation because he experienced the very presence of God face to face. He had no need to prove himself intellectually. He didn't have to strive intellectually to be the smartest person in the room or the smartest smartest person in the nation. He was free from all of these things. All of these things are the sum of a person so free because they've had union with Christ, you guys. Because they've found union with Jesus. They found this fidelity with Jesus that they would never exchange it for all the wealth, all the riches, all the status in the world. They are that old married couple. All they need is that rocking chair, man. All they need is that porch. And all they need is the very presence of God and they're experienced freedom from all of these trappings that we are tempted to fall into every single day. Definitely during this season. Moses knew the presence and the peace and the love. And he even knew the will of God. He lived in it because of that intimacy. And that, you guys, was something that could not be taken from him. I want to talk about that for a second. I want to talk about this idea of things taken away from us. Because this is a culturally, historically relevant term right now. For some of us, during this heightened stress and uncertainty season, we are being led to believe that our promised land, America, is being taken from us. That our freedoms are being taken from us. You see, first it was, you have to stay at home. Well, never in my life could I imagine someone giving me a stay-at-home order. Unfathomable, unprecedented, remarkable. My freedoms are being girded. And then it was, you have to wear a mask. What? On my person, I have to wear a garment, a material, a a, a piece of material? In the one place where my identity is seated? In the one place that I give and present and show to the world? My freedoms are being taken from me. And then finally, in the first week of July, you must discontinue your worship. That last one made me mad too. Made me uncomfortable, too. Made me yell out in holy disconnect, in, in righteous anger, out to the world. that This must not be so. These things that we believe are being taken from us. But then I sat with the Lord in prayer for a few minutes. Not a special quiet time in my closet or my bedroom or my office. No, just doing the dishes in the morning, getting breakfast started with the kids all around the table. And I'm just, I'm with the Father I'm I'm practicing the presence even right then, right there. And and I'm realizing two things about all the stuff being taken from me. I'm realizing, number one, I may have too much faith in my government. Does that resonate with anyone else out there? I may have too much faith in my government because if I'm looking to the government to be God, if I'm looking to the government to be Father, if I'm looking to the government to be theocracy, if I believe that we live in a theocracy right now where God is the head of the kingdom of the entire established order, the world order, that, that, that it's God, if I exchange the God for government, I will only fool myself and be let down so sorely, you guys, because the government can never take the place of God. And yet we are, our emotions and our behaviors rise and fall based off of the government's edicts. Our faith is not in the government. Our faith is not in our local politicians. Our faith is not in our governor. Our faith is not in our economic system. No matter what is printed on the dollar today, our faith is not in those things. If anything, this season has taught us is that our faith is in God alone. And we need to remember that. The second thing that was brought to my attention as I was thinking about these things being taken from me is that I might be paying too much attention to the activity of the enemy. Yeah. Systematic racism is real and it is sinful and it exists today in our systems. Yes, the governor is a part of a failed system that is riddled with sin. So anywhere there is sin, behind that sin, of course, are the ploys of the devil, of the enemy, of the evil one. You just got to know that. You got to read scripture and find out that that is real. It's not a battle of flesh and blood, Paul said, but of heavenly realms and forces of a heavenly place. I want to say this again, because I'll flip to the positive. Maybe we are paying too much attention to the activity of the enemy when we should be chasing the activity of the Father. Let's say it one more time. Maybe we're paying too much attention to the activity of the enemy when we should be chasing the activity of the Father. Where is God at work in our midst? How is he healing people? How is he breaking people out of emotional bondage? How are we serving the poor and the homeless in our midst? How are we reconciling with our relationships and our family members and our sons and our daughters? How are we adopting people that need a father or a mother or a family member that we can welcome into church online or in person? In our midst, where is the activity of the Holy Spirit still working? Because if we are fooling ourselves believing it's only the work of the enemy ever, and it's just all these fires we need to pray against and hopefully go away, Pretty soon, that becomes our whole universe, you guys, and that's tantamount to saying the activity of Jesus has ceased. Is anyone willing to say that? I don't want to be in that camp. I want to pray from the presence of God. I want to enter into the throne room of God, and I want to remember that that can never be taken from me. The presence of God cannot be taken from you. Here's here's the question. As we wind down, here's the question that every single one of us needs to wrestle with. And I'm talking like this week. I'm talking like straight away. We need to wrestle with this. Is it possible to get to a place where we are so given over to God, that physical death, even during virus, even, even during COVID, even during pandemic, even during the worst challenge politically or socially or economically, that that physical death is just one more step toward the intimacy and union that we seek with God? That's a radical question. But it's what these authors said. It is what Moses knew. It is what Jesus knew. It is what Paul knew. When he said, to die is game, but to live is to live for you, Jesus. Because if I die, I'm, I'm going to be in the presence with the Father. I seek that more than anything. But if I have to be here, I'm going to chase the activity of the Father. Can we wrestle with that question? We're so given over to the presence of God that has all of our heartstrings, all of our heartstrings, all of our heart strings—not just one, a percentage, a, a, a cut of the pie—but all of our heartstrings. That even physical death is just one more step of union with Christ. Barton, the same author of this book, says, The more spiritual the destination, the greater the importance of our character and our utter responsiveness to God and the journey is. Phrased another way, the more vital and intense the destination is, where God is leading us in and through this valley, the greater the importance of our character, which I would define as faith, like we've said, faith as fidelity, as commitment, as allegiance, and the presence of God becomes all the more vital where he is leading us. He's already been leading us. It's not too late to play catch up, you guys. If you've been flailing and your soul's been unsettled for the past four months, it's not too late. He's using this season to shape something in us. And here's a question that I want to conclude with. I'm going to end with this right now. Two hard-hitting, challenging questions. I want you to write them down. I want you to journal and pray through these right now. Please do this. Do not escape this message without wrestling through these two questions. And the first question is this. Is our faith, our fidelity growing during this time? Are we being transformed during this season of the crucible? Walking through the crucible of pandemic and political and social unrest. Are we being transformed through the crucible? You know what that word crucible, I love that word, crucible. You know what it means? Like walking through the fire. Crucible comes through the original word, Latin, cruce, which is cross. Every single one of us, Jesus said, pick up your cross. Every single one of us is called to walk through the crucible, not to forsake it, to disdain it, to throw it aside, to ask God to take it from us. No, we pick up the cross, we wear the cross, we walk through the cross or crucible season because our faith is refined through the smoldering furnace. A new creation is born, is birth. That's what happens in a crucible. If you, if you look at the pottery terms, a new thing is formed. And God wants to do a new thing in your faith, you guys. Are you letting it happen? Are you being an active participant in growing your faith? Which is defined as intimacy, presence, fidelity to the Father. Which leads me to the last question. Are we growing in the presence of God? Are we growing in the actual presence of God? We learn to be with Him through thick and thin. Like I said, just doing the dishes. One of my favorite times with the Father right now is just scrubbing counters at the end of a long day. After putting the kids down and before going to be with my wife, I am just scrubbing the counters. I'm just wiping the countertops from all the muck and the mire and the stickiness from the day. And I'm just wiping down the countertops. And I'm just listening to the still, small voice of the Father. And I'm just relishing His presence. In that moment, I actually fall in love with wiping the counters down. In that moment, I fall in love with just putting the, filing the dishes away because in that moment, I, I'm meeting the Father and I'm having this precious time when it's finally quiet enough and my life is still enough that I have the activity of the Lord right there at my fingertips. Are you growing in the presence of God during this season? In faith, it is faith that is the tool that we fight these battles with and that enables this presence. I'm gonna end with this from Hebrews 11 that same chapter that talks about the hall of faith, these great heroes of faith and legends of faith. The author says, Now faith is being sure we will get what we hope for. It is being sure of what we cannot see. God was pleased with the men who had faith lived long ago. Through faith we understand that the world was made by the word of God. Things we see were made from what could not be seen. All that's that's going on around us, thick and thin, circumstances is not above or beyond god's sovereignty his understanding his control he is with us he is for us he wants to be with us and he gives us this faith this shield this fidelity in order to survive not just survive at all but to thrive in our faith during this challenging time let's pray jesus i just thank you so much for the gift of faith We are not alone. We are not abandoned. We are not forsaken during this time. You give us the gift of faith to fight these battles. And faith, defined as fidelity, as allegiance to you, God, is is a covenant promise that leads us into greater presence with you. It does not return void, it is not a blind faith. Fidelity, allegiance is to a very real partner, and that's you, our Father, our God. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you for this marriage. Thank you for binding our hearts to you, Lord. Do that for every single person watching, listening right now. In Jesus' name, bind our hearts to you. In that way, we don't just have to survive. We can thrive during the season. We can flourish. Our faith can be sharpened, Lord, so that whatever rises up against it, we can fight and stand in faith. And that will lead to being freed up from all manners of things, just like Moses, just like the heroes and legends of faith. Every single one of us can walk in that freedom. We thank you, Lord, for this faith. We thank you for your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we wind down service today, you guys, I want to remind you of a couple important things. Number one, if you're new to Watermark, thank you for watching, listening, participating in our church community. Even though we're online, it's a very real and authentic community nonetheless. If you're new and you want to grow and you want to get connection, I know a lot of us are very connection starved right now. Do not hesitate to go to watermarkoc.com contact. Go to watermarkoc.com slash contact and fill out the form. We would love to respond, reach out to you, hear your story, and connect with you in whatever meaningful way is appropriate for you. Don't forget that. Please know that. Next, if you're part of our community and you're interested in getting involved, maybe you feel purpose-starved during this time. We want to sign you up. There is a need for online volunteers. And you may be thinking, man, I'm not tech savvy. I don't know about social media or marketing or communications or camera setup or YouTube or production or directing. We can teach you and train you. All it takes is a humble, teachable attitude, and we can teach you and train you in every single one of those roles. And if, it's, and if you are, on the other hand, you are trained in those roles, and you have great experience in those roles, we want your time and your talent that will be used to transform lives during this season and every other season that comes next. So please, use that same website, watermarkoc.com contact. Let us know you're interested in volunteering, and we'll start a conversation with you. Don't forget, you guys, next week, we have a new series Faith and politics. We are coming into an election season. The amazing conspiracy theories and the amazing spread of political worldview and all the chaos and drama and all of the stuff in between. Our passions, our violent passions, said one of the founding fathers of the United States government. The writers of the Constitution said that we are filled, men and women, are filled with violent passions. How do we find God's politics in it all? How do we point back to Jesus in it all. Come back next weekend for an amazing start to a new series. For now, thank you guys. God bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you during these times. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.